Christmas Eve morning with us. We're sure that you have all kinds of plans for the rest of the day and for tonight. But before you get there, we're going to open up God's Word together. And this will be a, a shorter service than, than usual, given that this is Christmas Eve Sunday morning. But nevertheless, we don't want to miss an opportunity to hear from God on what is a momentous Sunday because we get to hear the message of the good news of the gospel once again, which is always a privilege. And we're going to hear that good news from the gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 14. So open your Bibles up to Luke 2, 14. It's a passage we just heard read, but we're going to read it again this morning. If you don't have your Bibles with you, we have extras under the chairs uh, of the center aisle. Or if you don't want to grab one of those, you can just open up your phone's browser, search Luke 2.14. We'll be reading from the ESV version, and I'll do the rest. Si habla español, abran sus Biblias al Evangelio de Lucas, capítulo 2, versículo 14. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to begin in, in verse 8 and read all the way down to verse 14. So, without any further ado... Let's read this passage. It's the same passage we just heard read, but we're going to read it together again. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth He. Peace among those with whom He is pleased. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son into the world. Not to create sentimentality around a particular time every year, but to give us peace, and a lasting peace, a peace that, that surpasses our ability to comprehend it, a peace that will have no end, a peace that comes from a person, from a person who can sustain it till the end of the age. Lord, we thank you. Pray that you would open our eyes to this person afresh this morning and that we would encounter him in a way that draws us to him by your grace. In his name we pray. Amen. Peace. Peace. If you've been with us for the last couple months through our sermon series in the book of Ephesians, you'll know that through the gospel, God has created peace. Peace in two major dimensions of our human existence. First, peace with God. Vertical peace. But also, 
peace with one another. Through the gospel, hostility has, has ended between those who've received the gospel. But there's a third arena where you, I know it, you know it, the third arena where you long for peace that we haven't yet addressed or, or discussed. Peace within yourself. Peace with your own soul. And for all the fuss that, Chris, that the Christmas season makes about being the most wonderful time of the year, and it is, it actually has a tendency to illuminate the absence of peace within your own soul, doesn't it? You're nervous about spending time with family in the next 24 hours because of the potential of the drama that's going to occur. Or maybe you'll open up presents tomorrow morning, kids, and come to discover at the end of it your own discontent with your awareness of what you didn't get that you still want. Or December 25th, mercifully, and it marks the end of a month of, of frantically trying to get shopping done that you feel pressure for but never wanted to have. Or, or the lack of sentiment that you used to have as a kid but no longer really have during the holiday season. It just doesn't feel like the good old days. And the Christmas season, it, it, it illuminates a lack of, of peace that, that's always there within the human soul. We live in a post-COVID age that is riddled with anxiety. Surveys and studies consistently show that depression and fear and cynicism, they're at all-time highs in our day and age. But the message of Christmas says that 2,000 years ago, an army of angels appeared in the sky in a real historical place at a real historical moment. And they proclaimed peace, not just in that place, but peace on earth, in all places. These, these heavenly beings arrived to announce that on that night, history had reached a climactic moment when peace had finally become a reality for people. Peace with God, peace for one, or peace with one another, and peace within yourself. Listen, the, the, the peace that the story of Christmas proclaims really is the peace that you've been looking for. It really is. This is not a mere feel-good story that we tell every Christmas just because this is what we do. This is the peace you've been looking for. And if you're coming this morning looking for peace with God, with others, or within yourself, this is where you find it. It's in this story. And whether you're a Christian or not, if you are lacking peace, the real peace that you are seeking can only come through what, or rather, whom the angels announced on that night outside of Bethlehem. Do you believe that's true? Or maybe you have doubts that, that that's actually true. 
that, that what was announced that night can actually give you peace. If you have doubts at all, can you just let me take a few minutes to show you with a quick trip through the Bible how this is true for you. And, and before we start that trip, let, let's define peace. Oftentimes peace is described by what it isn't. We often describe peace as an absence of hostility or an absence of conflict. But, but it's helpful to, to define it by what it is. Pastor and biblical counselor Andy Farmer, he, he helpfully, helpfully defines it for what it is. He says, peace is the presence of harmony, of order, and fullness. It's the presence of harmony, order, and fullness. It's the presence of harmony, which is the, the opposite of, of hostility and, and conflict. Harmony is, is when things or people come together and they don't explode. That's what, what harmony is. When they work, when they come together. It's, it's the presence of order, which is the opposite of chaos. It's the presence of fullness, which is the op- opposite of emptiness. Right? In the opening pages of the Bible, they, they reveal that God has woven peace into the very fabric of existence. His, his initial act of creation produces a cosmos Genesis 1-2, without form and void. Okay? He, he, his initial act of creation created a cosmos that was without form and void. What's described here is, is desolation, chaos, and, and uninhabitability. But then comes light and dark, land and sky, land and waters. Then into this environment, he adds life. Formless and void have become harmony, order, and fullness. But God's purpose in in creation wasn't just to create natural beauty. His ultimate goal is in the creation of mankind, creatures who are uniquely designed to populate this natural world with enjoyers and caretakers of all that God has made. All these people who are designed to live in harmony with one another and with God himself. He's woven peace into the fabric of creation in its, in, in its original design. Scholar Herman Bavink says, God created all things to be in a beautiful, interdependent, knitted, webbed relationship one another. And just as rightly related physical elements create a tapestry, so rightly related human relationships create a community. This interwovenness is what the Bible calls shalom. Shalom, which is a Hebrew word meaning harmonious peace. God intended harmonious peace from the very beginning. But, alone, harmonious peace is not our experience, is it? So what in the world happened? What in the world happened? 
We have two points this morning for the remainder of our time together. First, we're going we're gonna to look at what in the world happened. The first point is, is hostility, chaos, and emptiness. And then we're going to look at what God did to alleviate that, to correct that. The second point being harmony, order, and fullness. First point, hostility, chaos, and emptiness. Second point, harmony, order, and fullness. First point is identifying why in the world we lack peace. Second point being how God made peace. So let's start with this first point. Harmony that God created the world to have has given way to hostility. Order has given way to chaos. Fullness has become emptiness. Why? Because as Genesis 3 tells it, which is the third chapter of the Bible, Satan entered into Adam and Eve's existence. The first two humans that God created, Satan entered into their existence as a serpent, and he unraveled God's tapestry and turned it into a lie. Andy Farmer says that his take, Satan's take, is that this rule of God's peace is really a rule of oppression. God the Creator is not the provider of all good things. He is the withholder of the one essential thing. The right to live on our own terms. And Adam and Eve buy it. They buy the lie that God is the withholder of their right to live on their own terms. And enticed and inflamed by the one thing God will not allow them to have. Adam and Eve knowingly and willingly reject the way things ought to be for the way they want things to be. Peace between the Creator and His favored creature is broken. And every human since Adam and Eve, ourselves included, every single person in this room, have made the decision to live on my own terms, not God's terms. And when an entire people live in God's world, in His kingdom, and decide to live not on His terms, what does that amount to? That amounts to a declaration of war. When God's people in His kingdom that He created to work in the way that He designed it say, no, I want to live on my own terms. And when they've collectively done that, that is a declaration of war against the king of this creation. They'd lost their peace with God. We have lost our peace with God. When Adam and Eve lost their peace with God, the whole world stopped working right. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because God designed the world to work His way. And when humans live in it saying, uh-uh, I'm going to live my own way, then the world in which they live stops working right. It breaks. We often describe the world as a broken world, right? It's broken because we've decided to live in it in a way that is contrary to how God designed it. And so the world is filled with thousands of competing religions, 
and confusion about what is true and good and right. It's filled with hunger and sickness and poverty, war and oppression and death. It's broken. Because we've lost our peace with God, because we have broken our peace with God, we've lost our peace in this world. Harmony has given way to hostility, order to chaos, fullness to emptiness. Herman Bobbing says, God does not agree with man, and man does not agree with God. Each goes his own way, and each has his own idea and will about things. But one is completely right. And one is terribly wrong. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, man is trying to live his life in this world without God and apart from God. And, And he regards God as one who interferes with and upsets everything. Can you relate to that? And of course, you find this great story unfolded in the pages of the Bible. And it's the key to understanding secular history. Man fighting against God. Man refusing to humble himself before God. And arrogantly and proudly doing the exact opposite. So this being the case, this being the case, if this is who man is, if we are at war with God, and by the way, If we're fighting a war against God, we're fighting a war we can't win. Because we're fighting against God. But if humanity is in a war against God, what kind of story would you expect to unfold in the Bible? What kind of story would you expect to unfold in the Bible if if a rebellious humanity has declared war against a completely good God? you'd probably expect a story of God's crushing defeat of that people who have chosen to be his enemy. That's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is is an epic of God's mercy mission to the human race. In the first 11 chapters, mind you, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, he, he does face down his enemies and totally thwarts them. But then in Genesis 12, he offers them, surprisingly, against all expectations, he offers them a way back. A way back to shalom. A way back to peace. He makes a promise with a man named Abraham. Okay, In Genesis 12, a promise to create a people from Abraham's descendants. And from those, from those descendants, among those descendants, he'll send a peacemaker. And, and this, is, this is crazy. Just think about this. He's amazingly promising to work peace from within the enemy camp. That's what's happening here. He says, from amongst the enemies, I will send a peacemaker to create peace from within you. And, and listen, you, you might be thinking, if, if you don't know this story well, you might be thinking, why couldn't God just declare peace? Just say, hey, All's good. Let's just, let's just let bygones be bygones. And, and I won't hold anything against you and we'll just be good from now on. This is why. If a, good, if a good king has a people who can't help 
but to be his enemies and can't help but to live like his enemies, continually breaking his law, continually committing crimes against him and crimes against one another, than to just welcome them back into his kingdom, knowing full well that they'll continue to act like his enemies, will at best be a fake peace. And at worst, it'll be unjust. Here's the thing. These people's hearts have to change. They, they, they have to be given the ability somehow to, to not want anymore to live like God's enemies. But, but even beyond that, th- these crimes have to be paid for. Th- these aren't petty misdemeanors in God's kingdom. Th- this is treason against the king, against the creator. And, and from Abraham, generation after generation, tries, tries their hardest. And this is the story of the whole Old Testament. If you want to know what the, the story of the Old Testament is, it's, it's this. Every generation trying their hardest to be less at odds with God. But they find that it's in their very nature to act as God's enemy. It's a story of these people who over and over and over return to God, but then go their own way. This is Lloyd-Jones says, each has his own way and each has his own desire and will about things. But God keeps his promise. And while peace is never fully achieved, he's patient with them. He refuses to crush them and destroy them. But one thing becomes painfully clear in this story. These people cannot do it themselves. They they can't make peace with God themselves. They can't make peace with others themselves. They can't create peace within them. But after thousands of years, after piles of generations, when God's people had descended to the depths of hostility and chaos and emptiness, through the prophet, of, the prophet Isaiah, God tells, he tells this to his people. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 4 through 7, he says, For to us, a child will be born. For to us, a son will be given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Get this. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. Brings us to the second point. Harmony, order, and fullness. What Isaiah is saying is that this peacemaker, he will be one of Abraham's descendants, just as God had promised. But he will be no ordinary human leader. He'll be God himself. Isaiah is saying God is going to come and be the peacemaker. Born 
as a human. And he will be no once in a generation peacemaker. He will be history's prince of peace. He will usher in a peace so perfect that it will never come to an end. And it's still not clear how he's going to do it. But he'll do it. God is going to do this. But then, get this, after Isaiah's pronouncement, another 400 years passed. So was God forgotten? And, and you might think so, and Israel might have, might have thought, gosh, he said he was going to do it, but he hasn't. But then one night, outside of the small town of Bethlehem, in a field covered in sheep, a few nameless shepherds, an angel, this heavenly being, appears in the sky, and the angel says, fear not. I mean, this is unexpected. This is sudden. He says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. All the people means all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a peacemaker, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby. You will find Christ the Lord as a baby, wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, on earth, not in Bethlehem, not just on this hillside, on earth. among those with whom he's pleased. Peacemaker, come. Charles Spurgeon says, wars had raged under the ends of the earth. Men had slaughtered one another, heaps on heaps. There had been strife within as well as struggles without. Conscience had fought with man and Satan had tormented him with sinful thoughts. There had been no peace on earth since Adam fell. And that's what the Old Testament is about, by the way. It, it, just, it just eliminates any doubts that we might be able to accomplish this peace project on our own. There had been no peace on earth until, since Adam fell. But now, when the newborn king made his appearance, the swaddling band with which he was wrapped up was the white flag of peace. That manger was the place where the treaty was signed, whereby warfare should be stopped within man's soul and with his God. But even on that night, it still wasn't clear how God in human flesh would bring Those shepherds, they believed that he was a peacemaker, but I was a baby. 33 years later, this baby named Jesus, who was God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, after living a perfect life, a life of perfect peace with God the Father, a life as it should be lived in God's creation, 
a life perfectly lived on God's terms. After 33 years, he hung as though he were a criminal on a Roman cross, and he died. This is how God This is how God would accomplish his mission of mercy. This is how the peacemaker would bring peace. This is how the mission would be accomplished by the one who finally lived without committing crimes against God, paying for the crimes of those who had chosen to live on their own terms. He died in our place. He died in our place and took the penalty we deserve. And he rose three days later to new life, which solves the second part of our dilemma. The new life he rose to is the new life that he gives that creates new hearts within us that are no longer bent on living on our own terms. He, he paid for our crimes. He paid for our sin. And then he gave us new hearts that want to live on God's terms and rightly within God's world. And nobody saw this coming. If the Christmas story is familiar to you, let it be unfamiliar to you this morning. Be surprised by it this morning. Be like one of those ancient Israelites who says, we can't make peace for ourselves. We can't do this on our own. And look to that manger as the place where the treaty was signed. And the cross as the place the terms of that treaty were come. Shalom, harmony, order, fullness, peace. But hold the phone, you say. Didn't you just 10 minutes ago start this sermon off by, by talking about how there's no peace in this world? Didn't you just get done reminding us of how difficult it is to find peace, even in, in the Christmas season? Didn't you just tell us that, that this happened 2,000 years ago and 2,000 years later, this is still how we're living? I did. Because peace is still rare in this broken world because the peace proclaimed on that night only comes by trusting the person whose birth was announced that night. The peace that was pronounced that night came in connection with the birth that was announced that night. And only by trusting the one whose birth was announced that night can you achieve true peace. Verse 14 says, on earth, peace doesn't end there. Among those with whom God is pleased. Among those with whom the peacemaker has made peace with God. John Piper says, how do you know if you are a part of the ancient promise? Peace among those with whom he is pleased? Here's the answer. You welcome the peacemaker. You welcome the peacemaker. You receive Jesus. That's how you get it. And we live in a world full of people who still choose not to trust that person. And, and we live, even as Christians, moment by moment, sometimes choosing to look for peace in all the wrong places. And all those wrong places that we used to look. 
So are you looking to finally have peace? If you've never believed in Jesus, you've been living life on your own terms. Welcome the peacemaker this morning, this Christmas Eve morning. Welcome the peacemaker. Are you a Christian who's already welcomed the peacemaker, but still lack peace in, in relationships with others and peace within yourself? There are plenty of things in this world that claim to bring you peace. Medication and meditation. Therapy. Mindfulness apps. Self-esteem practices. Positivity. Productivity. In any situation, if you're not trusting, to, if you're not trusting Jesus to be your peace, you'll be as successful at finding it as every generation in the Bible who tried to achieve it themselves. This is a case for you reading your Old Testament. Read the Old Testament and be reminded of how futile all other strategies of finding peace are. Be reminded of how desperately you need Jesus. But the Old Testament's there for to remind you that you can't find real harmony you can't find real order. You can't find real fullness apart from the peacemaker, apart from Jesus. The peace proclaimed in the Christmas story really is the peace that you long for. Praise God for that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have ushered in peace through your Son, Jesus Christ. This is a real peace, the realest peace the world has ever known. Lord, I pray for anyone here who is longing for peace with you, with others, or within themselves, God, that you would reveal Jesus to them and that they would welcome the peacemaker. They would believe in him as their only hope for reconciliation with you, as their only hope for finding true and lasting peace. And I pray that you would give each of us joy as we enter into that peace that surpasses understanding, as we enter into that kingdom of peace that will never end. In Jesus' name that we pray.